passage, this chapter is for those of us who have made mistakes, who have not done um, everything perfectly in our lives. And when you think about Peter, it's definitely, uh, he, he's, he's the kind of guy that he did everything at 100% effort, and sometimes even in that effort he made a mistake. And so this brings us to the end of the gospel that was recorded by John. Um, at least to me, this has been a very enriching study of Jesus's life um, as it's told by one of his dearest friends. Remember, John constantly referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, and some people actually ask why this chapter was added, um, because based on some basic, I guess, textual um, investigation, they believe that it finished in, in John chapter 20, and that this was like a... Um, not a cover letter, but almost like an appendix um, that was just kind of added to the end. Um, but uh, as we'll study today, hopefully it becomes clear why it was added. Um, this chapter, I believe, was added for every Christian who makes a mistake and wonders if they can find their way back to Jesus. You know, without this chapter, we don't know how Peter became one of the leaders in the early church um, because he certainly had denied Jesus, and it, it seemed as if his role was going to diminish after that. Um, but as we see today, not only did uh, Jesus forgive Peter, but he actually gave him a second commission and a very high calling. And we'll talk about all of that in just a few moments. Um, the sermon in the sentence is, the work of a Christian is very difficult. Jesus is there to give us hope when we despair, redemption when we fall, and purpose in troubled times. So I'm going to read to you John chapter 21. It's only 25 verses. Uh, so John chapter 21, uh, and then we'll kind of go from there. Um, so after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and revealed himself in this way. Now we'll uh, pause right here. Um, Tiberias is a, is a city uh, on the, the Sea of Galilee. And so John refers to the Sea of Galilee as the Sea of Tiberias, but it's the same sea. It's the sea that the disciples had fished in their whole lives. And so this was a familiar territory and a familiar place for them. Uh, verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, uh, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. 
Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now one of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Not one of, now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They, they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had revealed to the disciples, that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you are young, or when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you uh, where you do not want to go. He said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying uh, this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that, this, that his testimony is true. Now there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Okay, so as we look at this, I, I, I see kind of three different things that we'll need to, to kind of look at. First is a third appearance. We're going to look at the third appearance of Jesus. And even though John's gospel could have ended, ended at chapter 20, he includes one more chapter that relates yet another appearance of Jesus to the disciples. So he's telling us one more time, Jesus appeared and here's what it looked like. Jesus had scheduled one last appointment with his disciples, and this is when he would ascend into heaven. And some of the disciples actually arrived to the area surrounding Galilee before that meeting. So it, it says to us, basically, seven disciples had appeared. Um, and since these disciples had some free time on their hands, Peter announces that he's going fishing, and the others choose to join him. Now, Many sermons have been preached about this, saying that Peter was going back to his old vocation, that he was leaving the ministry, and that he was going, into, uh, going back into fishing, that he had abandoned Jesus, thought that he wasn't worthy to serve Jesus anymore, and not only did he leave, that he brought the other disciples with him. That is reading far, far, far too much into this text. They had some free time on their hands. They were at the Sea of Galilee. They had been fishermen all their lives, and Peter says, I'm going fishing. 
Um, for them, fishing had been a vocation, and it was a way in which they could make some money. Um, so to say that he was at this point deciding to leave the ministry, whatever that means, by the way, I hear that all the time even now. People saying, well, I'm leaving the ministry, or he left the ministry. Don't even have any idea what that means, to be totally honest with you. But anyway, so Peter was, was just going fishing. He brought the disciples with him, or the disciples went with him, and they fished all night. And so that's, that's how we should understand it. Um, the point of this passage is not that Peter went fishing or that Peter was leaving the ministry. That's not the point. The conversation that Jesus has with Peter, that's the actual point. Uh, most likely, the disciples had some free time, and they chose to use it profitably. The best time to fish was at night. Um, but after a completely fruitless night, these men were exhausted. Um, as day breaks, Jesus is standing on the shore, um, but the disciples don't recognize him yet. Now, it could have been a foggy morning. Um, the first time Jesus appears, you could kind of say, well, maybe they didn't know him because they weren't expecting to see him, or maybe God had kind of cloaked it. But at this point, it's probably just simply, it's kind of foggy. They can't really tell who it is. Jesus is standing on the shore. He calls out to them and asks them if they have any food. Children, do you have any food? Um, and at that point, the disciples say basically, no, um, we, haven't, we haven't caught anything. And so Jesus tells them to cast on the right side of the boat um, and you shall find some. Now, again, the professional fishermen, they should have known how to fish by this point and so whatever, but there was something in them this time that made them not delay, but to go ahead and cast one last time. And you might have, you, there might have been some groans and some grumbles and whatever, um, but this story is going to get really, really familiar really, really quickly because as they begin to draw in that net, they realize that they have a catch on their hands that once again is more than what their boat can handle, more than what they can handle. Um, so when the disciples obey, the net is filled with fish, and they realize that the man on shore is Jesus. Now, it's actually John that says, it's the Lord. And when John says that it is the Lord on shore, Peter grabs his cloak and he swims ashore. And so they would have been kind of stripped down to basically to their, to their trousers or what have you. And so Peter actually grabs his outer cloak and swims to shore for Jesus. He doesn't wait for the other disciples. He could not care less about the fish in that net or the boat and whatever else might happen. He's going to Jesus. So that was his, his response to that. And the other disciples... The way that the language, because it uses a different word for boat here, they had a smaller boat, and they actually towed the larger boat with the net to shore. It was about 100 yards because they couldn't seem to get the net into the boat at that particular time. So they come dragging uh, the boat and everything behind it, but Peter himself goes ahead and, and he swims ahead. So once they arrive on shore, uh, they find Jesus is already preparing breakfast and ready to add some of their fish to the meal. Um, so this is, this is just part of the story. You don't want to look and see too much crazy significance to it, but we will see some significance to the fact that Jesus is cooking and preparing them a meal. Just like when Jesus served the disciples by washing their feet, he now serves the disciples by preparing their meal. Um, so even after his resurrection, Jesus is giving his disciples hope because he's there, but also teaching them humility. Here is the resurrected Lord of Jesus Christ, but, but yet he is still serving them. He is still giving to them. He is still uh, putting himself in a position to where they can, they're on his level. They, can, they, they see him, they're interacting with him, and that helps the disciples to know that that's how they are to be. 
We probably have all seen and interacted, at least for a short period of time, with people that thought that they were better than us. That is an uncomfortable position, and, and it's something that, that when people develop that, they kind of get used to acting or, or presenting that, and they probably don't even know it anymore. But Jesus was very good about teaching humility so that his disciples will follow in that path. Not beaten, not, not put down, not downcast, but humble. And there is a different thing there, and Jesus is teaching that. So it is important for us to remember that no matter how fruitless our work may seem to be, Jesus is there and he can provide abundantly more than we might ever expect. It's important for us to remember that because the disciples had worked all night. Now that wasn't God's work. They were just fishing. But they had worked all night and it was fruitless. But what we see in this is that when God gets involved in the work, it becomes fruitful. Isn't that just exactly what Jesus was teaching in John chapter 14 when he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Anyone that abides in me will bear much fruit. Jesus was showing that when he's involved in the work, it becomes fruitful. That's a pretty good hint for us to involve Jesus in everything that we are doing. In every work that we get, get, become a part of, everything that, that we do, we need to involve Jesus in that. Now, it is also important for us to remember that if Jesus could display such great humility, even after his resurrection, we should approach every situation in our lives with humility. We just should be humble. We should show that same humility. You know, there's going to come a day, the Bible says, when God will glorify his believers. He will exalt his believers. But we're not exalted yet. We should be humble saints serving the Lord. That's how we should be. We shouldn't walk around thinking that we are something or lifting up or, or beating our chest. I mean, you never, in, you, in the Bible, when you read that kind of stuff, you, it never ends well for those that are, that are proud, those that will not be humbled. It never ends well. And so we should make sure that we are never among those. So now as we kind of approach the, 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 the big conversation that Jesus has with Peter, we're going to see a second chance. Peter receives this second chance at this point. So much like the moments after the Lord's Supper, the disciples had finished their breakfast, and they began to sit around and talk. That's typical, right? You, you, you sit, you eat, and then you kind of sit and talk. And, and, and definitely, they probably had a lot of questions for Jesus. They were hoping that he would you know, go back to teaching or, or probably engage them in some kind of conversation. And Jesus turns the conversation uh, to Peter. He looks at Peter and asks him if he loves Jesus more than the other disciples. So Peter, son of John, or he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Jesus doesn't use the word Peter here, the name Peter here. Remember, that was a nickname and it meant rock. Peter had not been acting quite like a rock lately. And so he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And probably you've heard sermons on this passage before, and people have told you that there are different words for love in this passage. So Jesus says, do you agape? Do you love me unconditionally? Do you love me with a divine love? Do you love me with the greatest kind of love more than these? And so Peter has a chance now to kind of respond to that. Um, and, and so, you know, one of the situations is on the night of Jesus' crucifixion, he had predicted that all the disciples would stumble because of Jesus. And at that time, when, when Jesus said, all of you are going to stumble because of Jesus, Peter said, even if all of these guys stumble, I'll never stumble. 
I'm going to stand firm. So that was Peter's response then. So Jesus gives him another chance. Do you love me more than these guys do? You know, do, do you have that, more, that greater love for me than, than, than they do? And the boisterous Peter, or, or at this point, Peter is the exact opposite. Um, Peter now answers with equal parts hesitance and humility, stating that he loves Jesus like a brother. So when, when Peter answers, he says, Lord, you know I love you. And so, so no is experience. Um, there, so Jesus has experience. He's seen that Peter loves him. Um, but the love is the, the word phileo, where we get Philadelphia from, city of brotherly love. It is a brotherly love. Now, some people say that this means everything, and some people say that it means nothing. It's probably somewhere in between. Peter, do you have that unwavering love for me? Lord, you know that I love you right now. That's probably more how this went. And so then Jesus says, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. He doesn't want to claim that he's got the greatest love of all loves for Jesus because he's kind of learned his lesson about being proud. But at the same time, he doesn't want to compare his love to the love of the disciples because the last time he said, they, they, they may not have it, but I do, it's the time that he lost it all. So feed my lambs. That's what Jesus tells Peter to do. Um, feed there is provide for their needs. Um, it is not shepherd. We'll get to that in a minute. It is just feed my lambs. And lambs, obviously, Jesus had all these words, and so he knew what each of them meant. And so lambs, that, that is the, the young ones, the little ones. So, so feed the little ones. That's what Jesus says first. And so then, a second time, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me with the greatest of all loves? So do you agape me? Do you love me with the greatest of all loves? He leaves off the part about comparing his love to the love of the other disciples. And so Jesus just asked Peter, do you love me with the love of all loves? Do you love me with the greatest of love? Once again, Peter does not claim to have agape love for Jesus, but he does insist that he loves the Lord. He once again insists, Lord, you know that I love you. I love you. And so this conversation in the original language, I, we, it probably becomes a little bit more obvious what's being said and what's not being said. But in English, we kind of fall down because we only have one word for love. And so what Jesus is saying is, do you, do you love me above all? And then Peter's saying, I love you right now. I love you like a brother. And so they're, 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 they're getting a little bit closer. And Jesus says tend my sheep or shepherd my sheep. This time the Lord says shepherd my sheep. Now shepherd means to meet all the needs, not just the feed, but all the needs. Protect, guide, lead, watch out over, shepherd my sheep. So this is a very high calling that Jesus is giving to Peter. Feed the lambs, shepherd the sheep, he is, telling, he is telling Peter that he is to be a pastor to the sheep of Jesus. To, to Jesus' own flock, he is to be a shepherd of that. Now, we flip a few pages over, we start reading in the book of Acts, and, and Peter is doing that. Remember, he's one of the first ones to speak up and preach. Um, he, he is arrested for Jesus. He serves for Jesus. He receives a revelation about Gentiles and, and their part in the kingdom of God going forward. Peter is a leader in the early church and is respected. And if we don't have this chapter, we don't know how he went from what he was denying Jesus to the leader in the church. And, and how did that happen? And was this just a case of, you know, he had seniority, so he got put in charge? No, Jesus 
put Jesus, Jesus put Peter in charge again. He put Jesus in a place where he could lead, where he could shepherd, where he could feed. And so Jesus places him in this, in this point. So the third question that Jesus asked Peter is a little different than the other two. Since twice Jesus had asked Peter, do you have this divine love for me? Do you have this highest kind of love for me? Both times Peter had responded that he loved him like a brother. Now Jesus, um, he, and Peter, he humbly would not claim to have the highest love for Jesus, but he no doubt still, um, and no doubt he still feels the sting of his, his failure. So he's not, he's not wanting to use superlatives at this point. You know, if you have fallen... Before we fall, we're, all, we're good, we're good. We haven't made any mistakes. We, we haven't done anything wrong. And so we don't mind kind of believing great things about ourselves. But once we fall, then we understand that we can fall, that we are fragile, that, that we are mistake-prone. And all of us really are mistake-prone. If you haven't fallen yet, then it's going to happen. We are mistake-prone. And so Peter doesn't want to claim, well, I have the greatest of all loves for you, Jesus. He just says, Jesus, you know. You have seen me love you. You, you. you have experienced it in every possible way. I love you. And so this third time when Jesus asked the question, Jesus doesn't ask, do you love me with the greatest of all loves? He asked Peter, do you love me like a brother? Now that is a different thing. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me like a brother? And the Bible says that it, this grieves Peter. Uh, and many people think this is because Peter had denied Jesus three times, that it's bringing that up, and certainly that would not have been forgotten. Um, but it's more likely that Peter is grieved because of Jesus' choice of words. It's almost like Jesus came down where, where Peter would not go up and say, yes, I love you above all. It, it's almost like Jesus came down to him. And so for, for Peter, he, he felt that there was a decrease. He felt like there was some kind of step down there with, with what was going on. But we know that Peter would go on to love Jesus the way that Jesus asked him to love him. We know that Peter would go on to serve, to sacrifice, and ultimately to die for the cause of Christ. So, so now, in retrospect, we can say Peter could have answered this question the very first time and said, yes, I do love you in that way, and I will love you in that way, and I will keep on loving you in that way. But it grieved Peter. So Peter says, you know or you have experienced the love that I have for you. So once again, Jesus commissions Peter to feed my sheep. So first time it was feed the lambs, then it was tend the entire flock, tend all the, the sheep, and now it is feed the sheep. And so Peter has been commissioned. He has been given this mission to shepherd the flock of Jesus. And so that is an important passage. And what it helps us to understand is how Peter rose to be one of the leaders of the early church. It also teaches us that Jesus can take the faithless, and broken people, and use them in mighty ways. Has there been a time in our lives where maybe we have doubted? Has there been a time in our lives where maybe we have, we have made a mistake? Has there been a time in our lives where we intentionally took the easy way because we could see that the hard way was going to lead to conflict, it was going to lead to challenge, possibly even persecution? Have we tried to take the easy way out? Because ultimately, Peter was there. Peter was ready to fight for Jesus physically. Remember, he drew the sword. He, he, he tried to cut a man's head off to serve Jesus. He was ready to fight. But he didn't want to face imprisonment. He didn't want to face execution. He didn't, he didn't want to go down that long, slow, painful road that it might be. 
Most people, right after they get saved, they, they, they're so excited to follow the Lord. And they, you know, it's one of the first things you do is you start reading the Bible. You start seeing that people died for Jesus. And in some way, in some way, it's almost like, man, to be put in a situation where I could prove that I love Jesus that much, that I would have to die for my faith, we think that would be heroic. But it would also be a lot easier than the life that most Christians live. The life that we live is daily sacrificing ourselves and exalting Jesus every day. The days that we don't feel good, the days that we wake up in a bad mood, the days that something doesn't go right and it throws off everything, we still have to exalt Jesus in that day. You know, the truth of the matter is, if, if you're you know, 15, 16 years old, you become a Christian, you get baptized, and the next day they say, hey, if you don't deny Jesus, you're going to die, and you say, well, sign me up, I'll die. And, and that's it. But the Christian walk is your whole life. Serving Jesus your whole life. And so that's the final command that Jesus is going to give to Peter. So let's look at this last little bit. It says, after Jesus had recommissioned Peter, he tells him that his life, or tells him that at the end of his life, his independence will be taken away and he will be forced to a place that he does not want to go. Um, tradition, and this is, this is very, very old tradition, so very close to the time that these events would have happened. Tradition tells us that Peter was crucified. And it does seem very clear that Jesus is saying, you're going to be crucified in this way, um, because it actually uses the term glorified, which was the term used to speak of Jesus' crucifixion. Now, tradition also says that, that Peter was uh, crucified upside down. He said that he didn't deserve to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was. That also sounds like Peter. When, when you hear it, you say, yeah, that does actually sound like something he would say. Um, we, don't, we don't know that part. That is just tradition. But what we do know is that Peter probably was crucified for his faith, that he went all the way to the end of his life serving Jesus, proclaiming Jesus, shepherding the sheep just as Jesus told him to, and then he was crucified. John helps us understand that Jesus was proclaiming that, that Peter would eventually be crucified. Um, and it seems that Jesus physically began to walk away. So this follow me that Jesus says, where he says, follow me, it may be more um, practical than some of the other follow me's we've seen. It does seem that Jesus was walking with Peter because it says that they noticed that John was following behind them as well. So it seems that Jesus began to walk off from the crowd and told Peter to go with him. And that's when Peter looked back and saw that John was following him as well. And so John, with such a close relationship to Jesus, it wouldn't have seemed like an intrusion. It was just, if Jesus is going there, then I'm going with him. And so John is following after them. Um, and, and that's when Peter looks and he sees that. Now, if curiosity killed the cat, then it certainly kept Peter in hot water as well because he asked what the Lord has in store for John. So what about this man? They've been, you know, in the closest of quarters for the last three years. He couldn't say his name. What about this man? What, what do you got for him? Because I think somewhere in there, it finally registered to Peter what he was going to have to give and what, what the cost was going to be. So what about John? Not because Peter was afraid of the cost. I don't really think we were at that point, but just, you know, he was curious. He was naturally curious. Even though he's humbled and subdued, he is still Peter, so he was still very curious. So in simple terms, Jesus said that whatever is going to happen to John is none of Peter's business. Just none of your business. It doesn't matter. Now, if there was one message outside of the gospel that I would devote my life to proclaiming. Now, I'm going to proclaim the gospel for the rest of my life. But if there was one other message that I could proclaim that wasn't the gospel, 
If, I, if you said, you've got to be a public speaker, you can't preach the gospel, I would proclaim the message that it's none of your business. Because I think that's one of the major problems in this world today is we, we tend to other people's business. We, we get into other people's business too much. And Peter was there. What about John? Well, well, you just found out what you have to do. So don't worry about John at this particular time. Instead, the final command that Jesus gave to Peter was to keep on following him for the rest of his life. So it's the, the tenses in, in, in this sentence when Jesus says, but you follow me, means you keep on following me for the rest of your life. So that's what Jesus is telling Peter. This is the final command. Follow me the rest of your life. Don't worry about John. Don't worry about anybody else. Follow me for the rest of your life. And that is the command that Jesus put on Peter. And I believe this is a command that is certainly something that we can all um, follow, that we can all accept is that's our command. We don't know the details. We don't know the day-to-day. And, and, and quite frankly, even when it's your life, if God hasn't revealed it to you yet, it's none of your business and you probably wouldn't want to know anyway. Follow him. Follow him for the rest of your life. Every day for the rest of your life. Now we get a couple of verses here where John identifies himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, the one that is actually recording this message, and he testifies that it is true. Um, He also supposes that if someone tried to write down everything that Jesus did while he was on this earth, the world couldn't hold all the books that would be written. But Jesus' final command, that's kind of where I want to finish this all up, because that final command to Peter applies to us just as well as it did to him. So whether we doubt, whether we fail, whether we suffer, we are to keep on following Jesus for the rest of our earthly lives. It is more common than than any of us are comfortable admitting that we reach a point where we don't know what we should do. We reach a point where what should we say? How, How should we carry on? There are things going on in this world that I feel like Christians need to speak up about. But how? And what do we say? How can we have a voice that people will actually hear and respect and listen to? Because a lot of times people think that we are hateful. So how do we proclaim with love the message of God? Well, while we're working on figuring that out, there's one thing we can do. We can follow Jesus. We can follow him wherever he leads, wherever he goes, wherever he takes us. We can follow Jesus. You know, in conclusion, every time the disciples were in trouble, they could turn to Jesus and he provided them with clarity and hope. Even after his resurrection, they were, they were waiting. They didn't have purpose and Jesus gave them that. He gave them something to do. He gave them hope. If we choose to follow Jesus, we will certainly have difficult times because the world will hate us on his account. I think think the days of us saying that your life is going to get better if you follow Jesus, I think that that has been proven to be a false gospel. At this point, when we proclaim that we are followers of Jesus, the world hates us. And the world hates us because of all that it must mean that we don't approve of. But here is the final reality for Christians. The world hates us, but God loves us, and God is with us, and He will never forsake us. We can trust that He will give us hope, He will give us provision, and He will give us purpose for the days ahead. You know, of all the things that that might scare me, and to be honest, there's 
there's more than I would ever like to talk about, but one thing is not knowing what to do next. That's one thing that scares me, because as we look at this world, it seems like Christians need to be very busy doing a whole lot of things, but, but what fight do we fight? What message do we proclaim? How do we engage those kinds of things? Those are things that if we don't know those things, I feel like it's a big problem. But you know, when we look at, when we look at Jesus' message to Peter there, he said, you don't worry about that. You follow me. Mind your own business and follow me. God's going to put you right where he needs you. And he's going to give you exactly what he wants you to say in that moment. It's all the moments in between we've got to worry about. We've got to worry about being faithful. We've got to be worried about spending our time in prayer and, and, and studying his word and growing closer to him so that we will be ready for that moment. Because he's got a moment ready for us. We won't make it to heaven untested. If you're sitting here this morning and saying, my faith has never been tested, I've never went through anything that, that made me want to doubt Jesus and run away and hide, I don't believe that we make it to heaven untested. There will come something that will challenge us all the way to the very core of our beliefs. And it's at that moment that we need to remember the words that Jesus said, you just keep on following me the rest of your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the many great opportunities that we have had. And Father, as we go out of these doors, some of us are going to walk out with purpose, knowing exactly what you have commanded us to do next. Some of us are going to walk out wondering what we are supposed to do. But I pray that if, if we know nothing else, that you would remind us to do what we know to do, which is to follow you. Draw us into your word so that we can gain a deeper understanding of you. Draw us into prayer so we can have a better connection to you. And help us to be prepared for that moment that you use us in a mighty way. Because we know that you will. We know that we have been saved for a purpose. You have displayed your glory in your son Jesus Christ. And we know that you will display your glory in us as well. When you displayed your glory in him, it cost him his life. We don't know what it will cost us. And we know that it's none of our business until that time comes. But what we must do, and I pray that you hold us accountable to this, is that we choose this day to follow you for the rest of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.